Raisers, I'm Don Lego. It's time to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation Radio, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities, building better tomorrows and exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you'll pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations and chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. Super excited to welcome back to Raise Nation Radio, a guest who's familiar with the show and familiar with uh, One Cause and Raise content, uh, the one and only Mr. Sean Olds from Boodle AI. Sean, welcome back to Raise Nation. It's so great to have you here again. Don, thank you so much. I always, always enjoy being with you. Appreciate the time. You know, I feel like we've been pulling you in a million directions. We had you at the Rays conference this year, back in September. We were in Chicago. You were on this amazing panel. Uh, no, um, what was it? New frontiers. You know, all new ideas to fundraising. You filled the room. We had to have the session, the the work, the the individual session in our general session room because there were so many people. So, congratulations on that. But then. That was so popular. We had to bring you back in December, just a month ago, to have part two of that, where we said, okay, there are no frontiers, right? There's no final frontiers. And we continued the conversation. And now I'm knocking on your door again as a thought leader, because I feel 2023 is a year of data, 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 data is everywhere. And I love it because, and I think data has, is always, we, we understand the importance of data. It drives smart decisions. It really prioritizes and helps us know, have a little more science behind what we're doing. But this year is just crazy. I feel like data is everywhere. We have uh, just this thirst and hunger for data and more data. Why do you think that is? It's crazy. Well, I, I think it's a combination of things, Don. And, and I'll start by saying, first, really enjoyed being at the Rays conference. Um, while our panel and I enjoyed it very much, there were a series of just amazing panels there. I learned a great deal and really enjoyed time there. And I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to Nashville this year. Um, but I think one of the things that made the panel so so well attended was that that focus on technology. And one of the reasons to answer your question on why data is where it's at is because of the growth of technology over just the past decade. I mean, technology has been growing for decades, but in the past decade, especially in the nonprofit space, it's become easier to capture data. And so where before people 15 years ago had to take very proactive measures to capture data, you had to sit down with your donors and say, well, could you fill out all this information and give it back to us so we have more information? Now it's very easy to collect and you can do it piecemeal. You don't have to do it as a big obstacle when they make that first donation, right? You can collect minimal information, but then slowly start to connect other information as you're doing your email automation flow, as you steward people through, um, as you have events, you can capture more information. And bit by bit, every little little piece adds up. And so I think the advent of, of, of new technologies allow for more data to be prominent. And now what people are trying to understand is, okay, now that I have this data, what do I do with it? Because the data just sitting there is like oil in a barrel. Right. Oil in a barrel doesn't doesn't make a car go anywhere. Um, we got to refine that data. We've got to refine that oil, turn it into fuel. that's going to make the car go. And so now the big discussion is how do I refine my data into something that I can actually use insights I can use? They're going to help drive my mission and my fundraising. 
Well, I knew then you were the perfect choice to be the guest on the show today because I really want to dive into data. There's um, some alarming research out there um, from the Giving Institute, especially about the declining number of donors. So it puts a lot of pressure on acquisition for sure. So data comes into play for prospecting. But I kind of got so excited about data. I, I love to geek out on data. Last episode um, last week with um, some of my peers, we, we talked about priorities in 2023 and the fundraising outlook. And I just got so excited. I didn't give a chance to let our audience know why we called you in for today's uh, uh, to be a guest on today's show. So um, I know you, I love you. You're a familiar voice um, at Ray's on our webinars, on our podcast, but there just might be a couple of people that don't know Sean Old. So let's um, let's uh, go a little bit backwards. And would you mind just giving the elevator pitch on Sean Olds on Boodle, a little bit personal about yourself. One thing I know is your service to our country. So as always, thank you very much for what you've done to protect um, our freedom. But we want to get to know you a little bit better. So let's pause here and take it away. Let us know everything about Sean Olds. Well, not everything, but you know what I mean. Fair enough. No, thanks, Don. I'm Sean Olds, uh, co-founder and CEO of Boodle AI. I started my career in the military. I graduated from West Point. I was a computer science major, so I've been tied to tech since a young age. Uh, did my time in the military and then got out and started building companies, uh, mostly focused in the tech space. I took a respite after September 11th to return to government service, doing counterterrorism work, mostly in Southwest Asia and Africa. And um, after that, continued building companies. Actually ended up moving overseas to the Middle East, um, working on building companies, taught uh, in the university over there, entrepreneurship and small business management, and then um, ultimately returned to the U.S. to start uh, Boodle. And the genesis of Boodle, I, I jokingly say, is because my co-founder and I are lazy. Um, <laughs> along with everything we've done professionally, we've spent 20 plus years serving on nonprofit boards. And as, as many people I'm sure in your audience know, fundraising in nonprofits is, is often very ineffective and inefficient. And so my co-founder and I wanted to find a way to bring technology, specifically data science and machine learning to nonprofits in an easily consumable manner. And the, the analogy I like to use is we're sitting on Zoom right now. People spent most of the pandemic on Zoom or Google Meets or some other form. And I always tell people I'd be willing to bet a good bottle of wine and a really nice steak dinner that 90% of the people they spoke to on Zoom could not explain to them how video over IP works. But they don't have to because Wait, video over what? 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 But that's it, it's we don't have to understand it because Zoom made it the press of a button. And right. that's what we've done with machine learning and data science um, for nonprofits, because nonprofits don't have the resources to hire in teams of data scientists or computer scientists. And so we want to give them the resources to leverage machine learning and do what they're good at, which is focusing on acquisition and stewardship. Got it. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for everything that you've done to uh, protect our freedom, to um, build great companies, and to introduce us all to um, AI and what you do at Boodle. Um, I have a very specific topic for today that I'm hoping that you can dive into. I want to dial back to some research about the challenges Um we learned from the Giving Institute, as I mentioned, that there is a declining number of donors. That's scary for nonprofits. We also learned from the 2023 um, fundraising outlook that one cause actually um, runs, uh, it's, it launches at RAISE each year at the RAISE conference. And 
one of the top concerns for fundraisers was acquisition and retention. So when you hear about those challenges that are facing all sizes of and shapes and sizes of nonprofits, and then there's a declining number of donors, this is pretty alarming. What are we going to do, right? How are we going to get move this boulder up the hill and get on, get onto the other side. And I think there's a place for AI with donor prospecting. Now I hope there's a place with, you know, with artificial, with data and intelligence. And I'm hoping that you can tell us that there is and how we can go about it. Are you up for the challenge today? Absolutely. All right. Take it away. How can we leverage artificial intelligence, machine learning? How can we leverage that to help us prospect better, smarter, harder, and 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 face these challenges about acquisition and a declining number of donors. Well, look at what we used to do. What did we do a decade ago? We used to walk in as a, a nonprofit to a, a list provider to buy prospects. And we would tell them, hey, we have these 20 demographic categories about our donors. And they would take those 20 demographic categories. They'd look at a big audience of people. They'd come down with 100,000 people who had those same demographic categories, and they'd hand you a list of 100,000 names. And you get ready to walk out of the list broker's office and realize that behind you were a 1,000 other nonprofits with the same 20 demographic categories for their donors, and they were about to buy that same 100,000-person list and spam out to the same people. And what AI and machine learning is doing for us is you started the, the, the talk today talking about all the data that's out there. Well, now what nonprofits can do is they can take their data, their bespoke data, using AI and machine learning and start to understand it better, start to really understand who their core donors are and really weed out, right? There's that decade old statistic that says that 80% of first time donors never come back. They come in with the ice bucket challenge or their roommate. Whoa, whoa. 80% of 80% of first time donors don't come back? Typically don't come back because they come wow. in ice bucket challenge, a yeah. roommate runs a race. They, they they care about the person who brought them in, but not necessarily about the cause. But if you focus in on that 20% who do come back, they come back because they have an actual affinity for the cause. And so now if organizations can look at their core donors, those people who come back to them on a regular basis, whether they're small value donors, major gift donors, monthly recurring donors, people who donate at their gala, whatever it may be, but those people who have an affinity for their cause, they can use machine learning to model those people. They now have a bespoke model because no one else has exactly their donors, and now they can apply it to prospect lists. And so they can create their own prospect list to acquire net new donors, whether it's building a Facebook audience, whether it's doing banner ads, whether it's going to, you know, the tried and true direct mail, whatever it may be, it allows them to build a list that no one else can possibly buy because no one else has their core donors. Unique to them. Correct. All right. So how does, it all sounds great. That's good news, right? There's a solution. There's something that we can leverage to get a little bit smarter about prospecting. But can you take me through it? I'm I'm a small nonprofit. I hear you. How am I going about this? How 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 am I doing this? Just take take us through step by step. Can you do like a step by step guide right now? I'm putting you on the spot. I know, but I know you can do it. Absolutely. And we work with a lot of small nonprofits. It was actually one of the reasons we we created our AI donor prospecting was 
our core platform is geared towards a little bit more developed, a little bit more um, um, advanced nonprofits. Um, what we wanted to do was find a way to help everybody. And so with just a hundred donors that you want to replicate, um, you can build a rudimentary. It's not the strongest model. It's not a true model because typical model, you want about a thousand of a representative set, but with a hundred, we can start building. And then the key is as a small nonprofit, you got to get started. Um, it's the, there's a, I've said this before. I think it was, I, I brought it up at the, the race conference, but there's the old Chinese proverb that the best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago. The next best time is today. Right. And, and so it's the same thing with data is that the best time to start collecting data was when you started your organization 10 years ago. The next best time though, is today. Um, Part of that data collection, though, is actually getting out there and trying to solicit and bring in new donors. So if you've got 100, 200 of a core type of donor you want more of, build an audience around those and do a digital ad campaign out to them. Digital ads are great because you get almost immediate results where direct mail could take months. It's not as expensive as direct mail. And then what's great is you can immediately the next month adjust. So everybody that you reach out to in month one, you're starting to build awareness, first of all. No donor ever gives in the first month or the first time they get asked. You walk up to somebody, you're not going to get them to make a donation. You may get them interested. You may convince them to have a second conversation with you, but it's going to take a series of touches and a series of information that has to be delivered to them. So when you start those digital campaigns, what you're doing is you're building a pipeline of building awareness. In some cases, you may be hitting people who already know about you. And so now you're going to start to get engagement from them. And then as months go on, you start to get actual conversions and donors in. But you've got to start today with that awareness and building that awareness. And then in month two, you take the feedback from month one and you use it to inform the model and make it stronger. And you continually do that every month. Hence the machine learning. The machine is learning as it moves forward. And so at the end of one year of digital campaigns, the model you have that you're working with in month 12 is much stronger than the model you started with in month one. And that's because you've learned over time or the machine has learned over time and is doing the work for you, allowing you to get better prospects. But you've got to start at some point, no matter how small you are. So it's not then quite as scary. I think we go into ideas or strategies or projects with this, I got to clean up all my data. It's going to, I'm going to need to, get more resources. It's overwhelming. It's you're saying, no, you, you starting is starting. You need to start somewhere. Take a hundred names. Is it as ideal as a thousand? So now we have a benchmark. We know that we're moving towards a thousand names, but if you have a hundred, you have a hundred, it's a hundred more than zero. So that's good. And give it a year, let it breathe, let the machine do the work for you get something started because that year goes by really fast. Absolutely. It seems like it was this time last year that I was wishing you happy 2022. And now here we are in a blink of an eye. I'm, ha- I'm wishing you a happy 2023. So Absolutely. let the machine do it and just, and just get started. And you really have something that's going to help mm-hmm. in, in 12 short months with just a hundred names. That doesn't sound, I mean, waiting a year, that's nothing. Right. And, and a hundred names, that's another nothing. So with those two things, you are really going to have far more intelligence that you have today. That doesn't seem so scary or overwhelming or ah, what am I going to do? Right. And, and the nice thing is 
while you're wait, you may be waiting or building over the course of the year a number of donations, you're seeing results in month one. In month one, we've gone so far as to guarantee the amount of awareness and engagement we will build for you. So we, we will absolutely guarantee that. You can't guarantee conversions because we don't know what your pipeline's built up like today. If you've got no awareness built out there whatsoever, doesn't matter how good a, a target I pick for you, again, they're not gonna give the first time, right? So we're building that awareness for you. But we can absolutely in month one, start to see awareness. In month two, you start to see awareness and engagement, and then it continually builds all year long. And so over the course of the year, over all 12 months, you're seeing accomplishment. You're not, it's not like you're waiting till month 12 until you're going to see all the results. Right. It's like a diet. If you go on a diet, you're not going to be at your goal weight one month in, you know, right. but you're going to, you're going to, you're going to make progress all throughout the year. Um, and probably at the end of the year, you're going to look pretty darn smoking. So um, it's the same kind of thing. You you want to, you want to, you want to get started. So now why Boodle help? This is what Boodle does, right? This is your claim to fame. This is your flagship. This is how Boodle helps nonprofits. So really get a hundred names, start today, call Boodle and, and, and get started. What, ha- what, what does the opposite of that look like, right? So you still have your hundred names. You, you, you think you have the profile of what you want more of. You're not using a service like Boodle. Where is that nonprofit? What disservice are they putting their non their organization under? Yeah, I mean, what I look, I've sat on these nonprofit boards before, before this type of technology was available. And what happens is you you tend to focus too much on those hundred people you have in there, right? You're trying to get more money out of just those. Um, you spend a lot of that money you do raise from those hundred donors wasted on outreach like um, direct mail to an untargeted audience or an audience list that is being spammed by a hundred other nonprofits. Um, You just, you do more ineffective and inefficient fundraising. And so by using the technology, by using the data you have at your fingertips and that you can continually acquire every month, you start to refine and make sure that the investment you're making with your donors dollars is more effective, more efficient and giving you a better ROI, both in the short term and the long run. Okay, got it. So, if you want to, if starting someplace is the best place to start, there's also a better place. And you mentioned a hundred names is great, but a thousand names is is ideal. What advice do you have to nonprofits to get to that thousand to to be able to put more data into the machine so that it has more in which it can draw from? How how would a nonprofit get there? I mean, first and foremost, it's no different than how a business grows. It's got to be omni-channel, right? I'm talking about digital fundraising because you can get some quick, immediate results you can get out there. But the reality is that awareness campaign, there's a variety of ways to build awareness. Um, If you're a nonprofit and you're not using social media and you're not doing um, leveraging your board and you're not using other forms of channels of of getting out there and touching people, then you're doing yourself a disservice. And and so to any organization that just says, hey, I'm just going to do direct mail this year and that's all we're going to do, you're missing a lot of resources. Um, or any organization, and I've, I've worked with development directors that tried to just raise money through the board of directors. Well, the board's all accomplished business people. Let's just go get them to get their rich friends to give. Well, not all their rich friends care about that cause, right? And so 
Um, as a nonprofit, you've got to make sure that you've got more than one tool in your tool chest. Um, you know, it is there's a variety of neat technologies out there today, um, being able to donate in, in other formats too, right? Um, there's there's stock, there's um, uh, crypto. crypto, there's a variety of different ways that you can be fundraising. Um, and as an organization, I think one of the greatest things out of the pandemic, there were a lot of organizations that could not do galas. Um, because it was just too costly. It was too much money up front. There was too big of a risk. What if people didn't show up? And we've now started to see more virtual events happening. And those virtual events can still have auctions tied to them. And so, you know, auctions are an amazing way to bring people in. Now, you do bring some people in who are that 80% who are never going to come back. They wanted the item. They were bidding on the item. But it gives you a pool of people to prospect from and understand, hey, are these people who could become lifetime donors for me? And so you've got to be exploring all of your options in fundraising to make sure you're maximizing your outreach potential. Multi-channel. Yeah. Draw from the multi-channel and, and execute on the multi-channel, I think is what you're saying. Yep. So now, all right, we're still going to start small. We're going to still stay with our 100 contact records. Should you draw from the 80% and the 20% or just focus on one segment versus the other? Because you mentioned 80% of first-time donors don't return, 20% do. Are you where where are you focusing your data? Should you just let should you try to convert the, these 80%? Like what where where do we go? Where where do I'm not sure? Here's reality. You have no idea who that 80% is. So what you're doing is you're using data science when you look at all your first-time donors and saying, okay, who of these look the most like my best donors? So we went through this with during the pandemic with food banks. Food banks saw literally an order of magnitude increase in donations, but their development team didn't change size. And a lot of those donations were just people kind of giving in the, in the wake of what was going on in the pandemic. They weren't necessarily passionate about the food bank's mission. What food banks were able to do because they had years of data was model their best donors, model those people who have given year on year pre-pandemic, and then apply that model to all those first-time donors. And now be able to weed out and say, hey, these people don't look anything like my first-time donors. We're not going to spend time. I mean, we'll still send an email. We'll still see if something catches them. We'll do the, the low-cost way of touching them. We're still sending thank yous. You're still doing all that other proper stuff. But when we're going to invest time in direct mail or digital ads or phone outreach, here's the people we're going to focus on because we have a limited size development team and we only have 24 hours in a day. So how do we most efficiently use those resources? And then the model just keeps getting better and stronger and better and stronger. So you really know this is my ideal profile. If somebody comes in, a first time donor comes in looking like this, we've got a pretty good chance of converting them to a lifetime donor, long-term donor. Okay. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. So how could AI be part of a nonprofit's daily practice for prospecting? What would you recommend? You know, I, I really want to get better at this. I really want to understand the model, the best model, the model I need to go after. How do I use AI on a, on a, daily basis to get there? So there, there's two ways to do it. One is the prospect prioritization, which is what we just talked about with the food banks, right? So I sit down, I got all my new donors from last week. Let's figure out how to approach them. What have nonprofits done You know, before? They take a kind of a serial path through the donor pyramid. Don just donated, 
We're going to send an immediate thank you. Then three weeks from now, she gets an email. Six weeks from now, she gets a, a letter in the mail. And then four months from now, we're going to ask her for a second donation. And she gave $10, so we're going to ask her for 20 And it's just kind of a, a kind of rote path that they follow. Well, now what you can do is you can model all your best donors, your monthly recurring donors, your high, your, your uh, major gift donors, your people who donate at least uh, three times over their lifetime, whatever may be your core types of donors. And now you can apply all those models to your first-time donors and now dynamically approach the donor pyramid. So instead of sending Don an email two weeks from now, and then an ask four months from now, you can identify Don as someone who looks like your monthly recurring donors. And after the thank you, and after a couple of pieces that really show what your organization does, instead of going back for a $40 donation, you're going back and asking her for $10 a month. And now you've just turned her into a $120 a year donor. And you haven't, you haven't wasted a year of kind of navigating the donor pyramid to get there. So and not and you're not just sending something and seeing what sticks. You're really learning to speak in a very personal, customized, and targeted manner. And you hit on a key point: using AI and bringing in other data points, you can understand who Don and her cohort are, right? So you can speak to them in a language that's going to resonate with them, and in a medium that's going to resonate. I have never opened a piece of direct mail in my life. I just don't do it. I direct mail goes from my mailbox into the recycle bin. Okay, I'm with you there. I have donated via text. I've donated via email. So those are mediums that you can get me on. And so if someone, the same organization sends me direct mail and sends me a text, they're more likely to get the donation over text if they're going to get one from me. And so if you're going to outreach to Dawn, why waste money sending a direct mail piece to her? She's never going to respond when an email or a text message will actually get a donation out of her. So it's not only just looking for that incremental donation and the right donation, whether it's recurring, one time, what to ask, the amount to ask. It's it's also saving expenses as well because you're not. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I I I literally open my mail outside over the recycle bin. I had this big recycle garbage can while I'm waiting for my son to get off the bus. I mean, honest to God, that's what I do. So don't, don't, don't direct mail me because I literally go from the mailbox. I hover over this, you know, very tall garbage can and I'm like, recycle, recycle, recycle. Oh, that one I'm going to keep because it's a bill and I need to pay it. Michael, you're home. And I go inside. That is how I open my mail. And, and you hit on a really key point um, at the outset of our conversation, which was with, with the economic environment we're in, there's a concern about, you know, the Giving Institute highlighted that there's a, a decrease in the number of donors. One of the other things that came out of that Giving Institute study was that the under 40 crowd, well, let me rephrase it, the over 40 crowd identifies with organizations, right? They find an organization, they like the team, they like the cause, they have an affinity for that cause, but they also identify with the organization that's delivering on that cause. That same study showed the under 40 crowd identifies with the cause. And so they'll very quickly switch from one veteran service organization to another if they feel their cause is being met. They don't care about the organization as much. And so if you as a development director are not communicating, if you're sending direct mail to Dawn and she never sees it, when you could be sending her every other month text and she gets it and she feels tied to the organization and the cause now, then you don't lose her. If all you've done is wasted money on direct mail and another organization understands that they can reach out to her on text, they're going to steal her away. Okay. 
I have questions. A, a million questions are going, and, and we only have a half hour for this podcast. So I hope I can get all these questions in. Couple things. One, is it likely that if Dawn is aligned to a cause or an organization and I'm converting as a long-term donor, is it likely that I would also have friends and family that would would be aligned and it's it's worth it to tap me as a social donor? Is there any modeling for that? Like, is there correlation between Dawn and Dawn and company would be ideal to not just get Dawn, but to get her people? Is that something that AI can help with or just speaking to me as a social donor, as just as opposed to a recurring or monthly or, or a one-time donor, anything there? That So the technology definitely exists, but for AI to work, you need data. So Mm -hmm. the idea would be taking this technology, taking the model the organization has built, and if you were inspired to be a peer-to-peer fundraiser, you allowing the the, the platform to overlay their model on your network. And they could then tell you within your network, these are the people you should be talking to because they look the most like our best donors. They look the most like people who have an affinity for our cause. The problem is not a lot of peer-to-peer fundraisers right now want to necessarily give their network over to a nonprofit because they're concerned that the nonprofit's going to spam them or a variety of other things. Um, we've seen this. I've seen this on boards. You know, I, I've, I've seen development directors walk into boards and say, hey, just give me your address book and I'll reach out to people what we, we think are good. Well, no, this is my yeah. network, my people. Yeah. I'll reach out to them. But is there a way to kind of do it on a on a blind basis? Um, that could definitely be finagled. I haven't seen a technology that does it seamlessly or on a, on a SaaS basis. Um, mm-hmm. but we're, we're probably not far from it. Got it. Well, we have to keep keep moving in, in those directions because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking a little more big picture here. I'm getting I'm getting ahead of us, but um, it, it would make sense. My other question is, what do you do when a certain demographic defies activity. And I'm going to use myself as an example. I'm I'm not a Gen Z or a Gen Xer. You know, I'm I'm a little bit more mature, but yet I just shared like male, which would probably fit, you know, best in 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 most people's ideas, would would it wouldn't work for me, right? Mm-hmm. I I I am tech friendly. I I am on some type of technology every minute of the day. I would probably, a text would probably stand out for me versus mail, forget about it. Email, I get too much of it, right? So what happens when like the demographic, let's call it the age, defies the the activity, right? Like I probably would be pegged for direct mail when in actuality, a text would happen to speak to Don Lego best. Does machine learning figure that out at some point? Given enough data and enough time, theoretically, yes, it would. Okay. Um, But that's why you have to get started. (laughs) Right. That's why you got to get started. But machine learning and and AI, it's not not 100% perfect. It never will be. And so there are always going to be exceptions to the rule. Um, We often get clients, we'll we'll score a database for them. We'll score 100,000 names and they'll pick one and they'll be like, Oh, well, you got this information wrong. And we're like, 
okay. <laughs> Got know, it. Yeah. Bad, bad data in gave us bad data out. That's going to happen, but that's why you don't do it on just a one-on-one basis. You do it in aggregate. You're looking for an outreach Patterns. to people. Right. What's also interesting is people don't always fit bad. So, um, you know, most of us think that the direct mail crowd is the, you know, the over 60 crowd. That's who really likes direct mail. There was a study, I'm, tr- I'm still trying to find it, um, but uh, there was a study last year that showed the direct mail is actually really succeeding in the 20 to 30 crowd. No. And the is they grew up on email. Email to them is what mail was to us. Like I used to, as a kid, run out to the ah. mailbox and get the mail from my parents, right? I was used to seeing it. Well, they've never not seen email. And so they get spammed with it. It's there every day, but they haven't seen a lot of direct mail. And so now when a direct mail piece comes addressed to them, not their parents or anybody else, it's a novelty to them and they're excited and they open it up. And so it's starting to work. My mind's blown. Yeah, I can see that, though. That is so funny. And and you know what? That that lives and breathes in my household. I have a 20 year old Mm -hmm. and she loves to get the mail. Yeah. She loves when something's addressed to her. And I'm like, yeah, I have no time for mail. Right. So that is so funny. Wow. You're so smart, Sean. Um, all right. You know what? Can you pull out an example? I mean, if you can't mention the organization's name, but you know, this it's all making sense. You know, I asked some silly questions and um, I'm glad that I did because maybe there were people that were thinking along the same way. And you you really helped me put this in perspective and hopefully helped our audience put it in perspective. But we love our examples. Can you give us an example, whether you can mention the organization's name or not, of what where you started with them, how you t- and what they, you know, what you took them through, and what the outcome was? Sure. Um, a university we have, um, which um, is it was great because it taught us a lesson in bias. And I'll talk a little bit about bias because a lot of people get scared when they talk about data and and, and the bias in data science. So um, we had worked with about a dozen universities and just really succeeded well with all of them. So I admit our first year, we got a little cocky. We brought on this university and almost immediately their models were just, they were horrible. We test all of our models, as you know, and there were, I should say the machine tests the models and their models were, it, you would have been better off flipping a coin than you would have been using the model Ooh. that you built. Mm-hmm. And our data team spent a full day just scouring, trying to figure it out. And what we finally figured out is this was the first university, every other university we work with was the type of university where kids from all over the country apply. And then they get in and they travel to the university for four years. And then they take jobs all over the country and they leave. This was our first, what you would call local university. Most of the people applied locally, they graduated and they worked locally. And so for us, geography was a bias. It was ruining all of the models. And as soon as we pulled geography as the data point out, all the models worked perfectly and they went out. So we had spent two years with them, helping them with the prospect prioritization, right? Helping them really narrow in on who their best donors are. As you may know, Don, a lot of universities over the past five years have seen a decrease in donors. And so universities have had to start thinking outside of the box of, well, since I'm limited to my alumni, I got to go find other donors. What do I do? And so this particular university has spent about five years bringing in non-alumni donors. And they do it by finding causes that they can support. They find like-minded donors for that cause. They bring them in. They steward them along, teaching them all the things the university is doing. And then they they go and um, bring them in as donors to the university. So when we started our our AI donor prospecting last summer, they had about 1,500 of these donors that were not non-alumni donors. So they built a model 
And then they applied it to our database, 240. Well, we actually narrowed it down to just where they were located. So we applied it to about 20 million Americans and um, came up with a list for them. And I always tell people, I caution, like, usually it's not a silver bullet. Usually it takes months to see results. We got very fortunate with them. And they spent, I think, $2,700 with us, bought a lead list, and then advertised for a month to it. And at the end of one month, they had picked up 55 new donors and $32,000. Yeah, so, uh, 55. So when, oh my gosh, that's super exciting because. Uh, and how much did, how much did that equate to? I'm sorry. I got so excited 30, 30, when I heard 30, $32,000, so more than a 10 One month, first month. Now that's not typical. I tell people don't 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 start this and expect that. But that's been our our best case, and we've had a lot of other success cases. But that's the one that really really stood out, and it was just being able to get out there and and find the right people and put 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 them in front of the right people. Wow. Okay. Well, we know it's not a silver bullet, but I love hearing that story. I mean, it's just so exciting, especially when acquisition is such a challenge right now. I mean, it always is, but it just seems like it's really, wow, where are we going to go? I'm going to put you on the spot, but I know my the audience is really going to want me to ask this. So donor prospecting AI, that sounds scary. It sounds expensive. It sounds blah. I know that you really want to see missions sustain their their causes and 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 you are just really in it for the nonprofit and you've done some great things. So can you alleviate, you know, if people are walking away from this episode saying, oh, donor prospecting AI, yeah, what's that gonna cost me? Help us out, help us understand what is the process. You know, if you're going to rely on Boodle, what what can they expect with the cost? You don't have to quote anything in spe specific, but can you alleviate any fears there? Yep. So, so number one, it's it's not a, a steely yep, he says. Red, red eyes coming at you. Um, it, it, <laughs> That's what I envision. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, they hear AI and they see the Terminator coming at them. So it's yeah. Not um, the other big thing is cost. And, and and we actually, when we first came out, we were a little bit more expensive. Um, I, what I love about my team is my team is very focused on how do we help nonprofits. And so I know that developed the technology over the past six months to drive as much cost out as possible. And so we've and, and we also did it so you don't have to sign up for a year license. Um, you can if you want to, but we've built it so people could do it on a monthly. We asked people to do at least three months initially because again, results, it's yeah, you need you know, yeah. but we can get people started for as little as 1179 a month, $1,179 for their first month. Um, and if we've got clients who have proven creative, digital creative, they've been using elsewhere and a proven landing page that converts, what we find is that within 90 days, they see an ROI. So when they do wow. three months worth of campaigns with us, they're seeing an ROI by the third month. Yeah, I mean, AI is not magic. If you if you don't have the creative, if you don't have, you know, best practices on your website, and I mean, you know, it's not magic. It's just going to help you be smarter. And the analogy I always oh give people is, I I could give you the ten best major gift donors in the world, who have written blogs about your cause, and if what you do with it is pull out postcards and some crayons and write, "Give me your money now," you're going to have yeah. exactly zero percent conversion rate. Fair. Yeah. Fair.
Okay. So it's not the Terminator, right? It's, it's no, but nobody, no googly red eyes are coming at you. It is, it, you could potentially have a 90 day ROI. That's, and, and not to mention the ongoing ROI that comes with getting stronger and better each and every month. And at the end of the year, it could be, be pretty smart about what your direction is, especially with prospecting, which is just so important right now. Acquisition is just so overwhelming and so challenging. And so thanks for everything that you do at Boodle. And we're excited about it. Yeah. Um, I think this is exciting. I think using AI with prospecting, I, I'd, I'd love to see the day where AI is just integrated in every SaaS product out there. Wouldn't that be a, a great, great way to approach things? In some ways it is. That's I love when I, I get to talk about AI to groups because one of the first questions I ask to a group is, you know, who, who here has used AI in the past week? And and anybody who doesn't raise their hand, it, it can only validly not raise their hand if they're living in a cave, right? If you use Google Maps, if you use weather.com, if you use Siri or Amazon or Netflix, you're using AI. People mm. just don't realize it's built in there. And so people don't realize AI pervades their life in a lot of things and makes it easier. They just don't, it's not thrust into their face as, hey, you're using AI. It's the fear of the unknown, you know? I mean, it's learning something new, starting something new, making the call. Hey, Boodle, help me out. And um, how, how's your software to use and your dashboard and all that stuff? How's the workflow look? On the AI donor prospecting side, actually, it's very seamless. It's it's just you you um, upload your, your best donors you want more of, you upload your creative work, and you upload your landing page. And then you select the button to say whether you want Facebook or banner ads and when you want to start, and you're done. Um, hmm. for, the, for the prospect- well, That doesn't sound so scary. It's not scary at all. It's super easy. And there's a <laughs> You're laughing at me. <laughs> there's a customer success team to work with you if, if it seems challenging in any way. Um, and to help you understand the results too. One of the other things we do is we're very good at the end of each month of providing you reports that show what you got back. So you're not responsible for trying to decipher and understand what happened. And especially a lot of people, they've got to report into someone, right? I just spent $1,179 last month. I have to go to my boss, the executive director or the board, and I got to tell them what we got back. And so we create a report each month that allows you to go take that back and show exactly what you got so that it's easy to justify the continued expense. Okay. All right. You've really broke down the barriers, I think, made it less scary and and definitely delivered some new, not maybe not new, but an approach to really help with prospecting and acquisition and getting really good and really smart about it. Sounds like we need to, I don't know, create an ebook or do some kind of other content collaboration. So I think I might hold you to that this year. I hope you don't I mind. I look forward to it. And we hope we see you um, in Nashville at Raise for the for our audience who doesn't know um, one cause together with so many sponsors like Boodle AI. We um, uh, hold a conference each year. It's two days. Um, it moves around a little. This year we're going to Nashville, Tennessee at the Country Music Hall of Fame. And um, it's a great time, right, uh, Sean? We always have a really good time. We have wonderful sponsors like Boodle 
And we have wonderful presenters like Sean Olds, who really had a sold out crowd, right? That was crazy. That final, I keep forgetting the name of it. I was like, new, I think it was New Frontiers and Fundraising. And we had to move you to like the general session room. There was just so many people there. It's always a pleasure when you speak. And um, we love to hear what you have to say. And now you're changing the face of fundraising. You really are breaking the barriers and opening up new frontiers. So thank you for coming back to Raise Nation and just joining us with some really interesting conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Donna. I really, really enjoy our time together. Always. It's always a pleasure. Well, Fearless Fundraisers, that's about all we have time for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's Raise Nation topic and your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. Remember that donor prospecting with artificial intelligence or AI prospecting. Tune in for a new episode release every Thursday at 12.30 p.m. That's Thursdays, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And in the meantime, listen to all the episodes on Raise Nation Radio. Follow the channel that you like best so that you can get the notification about all our new guests. Fundraisers are doing amazing things to build better tomorrows for our communities. Their stories are awe-inspiring. You won't want to miss a single episode. I would like to take a brief moment to thank our sponsor, OneCause, for making this episode possible. OneCause is driving the future of fundraising with easy-to-use software solutions that help nonprofits connect with their donors. Be sure to check it out at onecause.com. Visit the resource tab on the homepage for a broad catalog of eBooks and blogs, videos, infographics. Hopefully you'll find them all helpful. Huge shout out once again to my guest, Sean Olds, who is the founder and um, of Boodle AI. Um, I appreciate you sharing your expert and authentic voice. A very interesting topic. Thanks for being with us again today. But I have to ask you one last question. Any last words of inspiration for our audience? Donna, I'll go with uh, a lesson I learned at age 17 in, in uh, poetry class. Channeling your inner 17-year-old, okay. My inner 17-year-old, and I've carried it all the way through. Um, it's the concluding line of, of the poem Ulysses by Alfred Lord Tennyson. And it's uh, to, strive, to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. To strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. Absolutely. Wow. Now, where did you first hear that? My uh, poetry class, mandatory poetry class at West Point, your freshman year. Um, we mandatory poetry class at West Point. Poetry class, which when you're 17 year old boy trying to trying to be an army soldier didn't seem to make a lot of sense. And um, all these years, now it makes a t- whole bunch of sense, makes a ton of sense and even ended up uh, uh, funding or for supplying me with the name for my son. My four year old son's name is Tennyson. Tennyson. Oh, shout out to Tennyson, four-year-old Tennyson. How cute. I love that story, Sean. Every time I talk to you, I find out something interesting. It's always, always such a pleasure. Thanks, Don. Thanks again for being here. Appreciate you having me on today. Well, that's a wrap. Until next time, I'm Don Lego. This is Raise Nation Radio. You stay fearless out there. (laughs) 